All right, today's scripture reading is in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So if the usher team uh, has Bibles that they can pass out, if you want to raise your hands, we'll get those to you if you want an actual physical Bible, which is always fun to track along that way. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and it's easy enough to find because Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Here are the words of Jesus. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Amen. Amen. So in May of this year, the U.S. Surgeon General released an 80-page report detailing a new epidemic that can increase your mortality uh, by as much as the rate of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Do you guys know what this new epidemic might be? It's not cancer, it's not a new disease, it's not obesity or lack of exercise, it's the lack of social connection. It's isolation, a lack of friendship and meaningful relationship. According to this report, the physical health consequences of poor or insufficient connection include a 29% increase of heart disease, a 32% increase of stroke, and a 50% increase of likelihood of dementia in older adults. A growing body of longitudinal research is indicating that loneliness or the lack of social connection increases our risk of premature death by as much as 60%. This is not taking into account the impact of isolation on mental illness. It goes without saying that those who experience feeling lonely are more than two times as likely to experience anxiety or depression as those who rarely or never feel lonely. These numbers are stark, and even as statistics always need to be taken with a grain of salt, I think we can agree that the individualism of our culture combined with technology have profoundly changed the way that our society interacts, and it's having significant impacts on our health. Today we're asking the last question of the Explore God series, can I know God personally? We spent the last two months looking at important questions, commonly asked questions of the Christian faith, meaty ones like, is Jesus God? Or is the Bible reliable? Our Explore God group had a really great discussion on that last one this past week. We've also asked deeply felt questions like, can a good God allow pain and suffering? Or, does life have a purpose? As we arrive at this last question today, we start with our fundamental human need for meaningful relationship because I believe it is at the very core of answering this question, can I know God personally? To engage the Christian faith is to engage a relationship with Jesus. But what does this actually mean and what does it look like? At some point, once we've asked the questions, we've dug into the intellectual evidence, heard people's stories, and read all the things, there is ultimately an experiential, relational aspect of our spiritual journey that must be considered. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to know this God that we've been talking about on Sundays and in our groups? What might it look like to engage with him personally? The scripture that we're in today comes, as David said, from the very last book of Bible, book of Revelation. This is a word in Greek that means unveiling, and the object of that unveiling is Jesus. 
Here he is, how to receive him, and what we have to look forward to with him. So it's not just the facts about him as a teacher and historical figure that have been covered in the four gospels or the biographies of Jesus, but what we can expect in a world to come as we anticipate eternity because of what he has done for us on the cross. In the third chapter of Revelation, verse 20, it says of Jesus, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The first and most fundamental learning that we can pull from this beautiful invitation is that God is relational. There is an invitation being made here, which is about as relational as it gets, shared in everyday terms that we can all understand, a knocking on a door, a calling out for us to hear, a coming in and eating together. The reason for this is that God is fundamentally a relational being. The concept of the Trinity, of a three-in-one Father, of three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is at its core about relationship. One of our basic beliefs as Christians that is distinctive from every other world religion is that we follow a triune God. Not three gods that coexist, not gods in three phases, but one God that exists in three persons a being that is at its very core relational. Author and pastor Tim Keller put it this way, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. This creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom move around the other two. The essence of the Christian God is relationship, and God was already in relationship through the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before humans were even part of the equation. This others-centered relationship that the Trinity exhibits is a beautiful model of relationship for us, one of mutual delight and joy and deference. The logic then continues that God made us to be relational. The invitation referenced in our scripture today also includes ways for us to respond, to hear, to open the door, and to eat together in a daily manner. God created us to be relational beings as well. In fact, in the very first pages of scripture, it says that not only are we created in the image of God, Genesis 1:27, but that it is not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2. I love how author Jenny Allen puts it. God has been relational forever. He created us out of relationship for relationship, and not a relationship that is surface level or self-seeking, but sacrificial, intimate, moment by moment, relational. It is who we are because it's who God is. This basic fundamental premise that humans are made for a relationship explains so much about what we experience in this life, doesn't it? It explains why loneliness is such an epidemic that can cause premature death at levels of smoking 15 cigarettes a day because isolation is at its core a rejection of our hard wiring. It's taking an operating system designed to be enmeshed in community and depriving it of essential fuel. From the moment you were born until you take your last breath, 
Deep, authentic connection is the thing your soul most craves, Jenny Allen writes, not just as an occasional experience, but as a reality woven into every day of your life. If connection is so essential, why is it that so many of us live with an experience of loneliness, of lack of relationship? Social psychologists define loneliness as the gap between the social connections that you would like to have and those you feel you experience. A 2019 national survey ran by Cigna Insurance Company indicated that a whopping 61% of Americans experienced feeling lonely. This was before the pandemic. Imagine what that report might say now. The good news of the gospel, of what Jesus did for us on the cross, explains the gap between what we desire and what we have. Because God is fundamentally relational. God created us for a relationship. And knowing God personally is the only way to fully satisfy our soul's craving for a relationship. The basic premise of the whole of scripture, of the Christian faith, is that God intended us to live in a whole pain-free world. But in order to be authentic and just, he gave us free will to choose whether to be in relationship with him or not. And we broke that relationship. We chose and we choose daily to do broken things, to make selfish choices, to get frustrated at one another with our loved ones, at our coworkers, and to act out of that frustration, to hurt others with our words and with our actions, which lead to broken relationships and pain. If we look to broken people to fulfill our soul-level craving to be seen and known and loved, we will be eternally disappointed. Even the most beautiful of friendships or relationships will hit road bumps. There's a reason that we call it a honeymoon period, because no relationship is perfect. We don't need to look very hard around us, at our surroundings, at our everyday lives, to realize that many of us are constantly considering or thinking about this gap between the relationships that we want and the relationships that we have. I had this message on my mind as I went to a spin class this last Wednesday night, and it happened to be this instructor that has a ton of energy, and she really loves to spout personal wisdom at us while we're, you know, like at the toughest part of the climb, and you're at your sweatiest, and I really think that she's really just trying to distract us from like the toughest parts of the class. So usually I kind of tune her out, but there was something about her tone this week that was like, different. And so I lent my ear and she started with something like, I've been thinking a lot about protecting my peace. She said, I find I spend a lot of my time blaming other people. Like, I feel this way because they did that, or I feel this way because they didn't do this. And she went on to give examples and was really self-reflective that she wanted to take accountability for her part and to stop blaming, even as she acknowledged that a lot of her relationships were falling short of what she desired. It was deep stuff for a spin class. And meaningful to hear as I thought about this message. Our souls crave healthy relationships, and God can use broken relationships or the gap between what we want and what we have to help us to understand our need to know him personally. I came to faith as a young adult, and it was this lack that met me where I was. 
I grew up in a culturally Buddhist family. Um, my parents were, you know, highly educated STEM type people, a PhD in electrical engineering and a master's in petroleum geology. And when I told them I had decided to become a Christian, they treated it as an extracurricular activity that I had picked up. And then they asked me all the questions that we've been considering for the last couple of weeks. You know, like uh, the validity of the Bible, is it congruous with science? How do we know that there's only one God? And why can't there be multiple ways to heaven? There's multiple ways to target. I literally remember my mom saying this. Um, I wrestled with all this and more. Uh, I read the Bible for myself. I asked people lots of questions. But ultimately, it was the deep feeling of loneliness. My freshman year of college, the gap between the relationships I desired and the relationships I was experiencing that drew me into a heart-level understanding of my basic need for Jesus. Being away from my loving family, trying and failing to continue a long-distance boyfriend relationship, you know how that goes, uh, having my pride wounded by trying to skip freshman year economics and then running into academic struggle. It all worked together to show me I was not in control of my life. I didn't have it all together. Working harder or faster or stronger could not save me. I could not, in my own strength, make the pain go away. I was forced by circumstance to acknowledge my need. And it was in this place, in the loneliness of my freshman year dorm room, where I had fallen into an eating disorder and was probably experiencing some level of undiagnosed anxiety and depression, that Jesus met me. I learned viscerally that the Christian faith is about more than the intellectual questions of the Bible. It's more than the activity of going to church, as important as these things are. There was a daily, moment-to-moment, -moment, intimate relationship to be had with the God of the universe that was mine for the receiving. And there was nothing I could do to deserve it. Contrary to everything I have been taught, to never owe anybody anything, to always be the one that gives, there was nothing I could do in this situation except receive. The gift of what Jesus had done on the cross for me, so that I could open the door and let him come in to my heart, to my life, and to the most fundamental parts of me. And I have seen over and over in the two decades since, through friendships, through marriage, through becoming a mom, through leading a church, that I will disappoint other people. And other people will disappoint me. Because we are wonderfully and terribly imperfect. We all are. Of course, I have also had the great joy and delight of experiencing in my relationships glimmers of the kind of love God offers us, of feeling seen and known and loved. It was through a compassionate mentor who met me and walked me through the book of Mark, one of the biographies of Jesus, chapter by chapter, week over week, and through a loving friend who is still one of my best friends now, that I felt heard, that I felt known and loved that same freshman year. It was God initiating with me through them in that season. Since then, I've experienced the joy of knowing this kind of overflowing love by becoming a mom, of watching David be a dad, through dear friendships in this church that regularly work through the hard and the good, beautiful reflections of the kind of love that God has for us. But it's impossible for a human being to fulfill us at all times because we are broken.
We will inevitably experience brokenness. We will disappoint one another. And if we put our hope in a human or in finding the perfect friend, the perfect spouse, raising the perfect child, we may have highs and we may have lows, but we will ultimately have a hole and we will feel a lack. Perhaps most importantly, not only will we lack fulfillment ourselves, we will not be able to be a part of God's plan for us in this world, which is to operate out of an overflow of his love for us, to help others experience glimpses of the kind of love that he wants them to experience, of being seen and known and loved. Because ultimately, the goal isn't just to avoid being a casualty of the loneliness pandemic, that would be great, but again, it's a self-centered way of looking at the world, of saving ourselves. That will only go so far. God's plan for us is so much better, so much more beautiful, impactful, and eternal. This may be simplistic, but we all have a relational map of the world, a way of seeing our relational orbits. So, uh, putting ourselves at the center of this orbit, like here, means needing people in our orbit to be all the things and meet all of our needs constantly. It's a perspective that requires constant outside-in fuel to feel whole. These inputs can look like being appreciated or needed. This can look like being attractive to others. It can look like being respected or seen as knowledgeable, being seen as the one in charge or the one that brings the fun. These inputs can come in so many ways, including likes or views on social media. And while they are not bad in and of themselves, they are ultimately insatiable. Think back to a time in the past that you got an input like this. It felt good. It was satisfying for a little while, right? That dopamine hit. But how long did it last? Does it sustain you today, this morning? My guess is it does not. And the reason for this is that your hardwiring by God is not to operate like this. It's to operate first and foremost in personal relationship with him, to have him at the center of your relational orbit, to know him personally, and to allow that to be the fuel that propels all the other relationships in your life. In such a way that your relationships with others are built up through an overflow of your personal experience of God's love. It's only then that we can listen with full attention to someone else's hurts without bringing our own hurts into it. It's only then that we can help another feel totally seen and known and loved. In Revelation 3.20, we get some glimpses of what knowing God personally can look like and feel like. So let's take a closer look. God takes initiative to know us personally. This verse says that God comes, knocks, stands, calls. He unashamedly places himself near us and says, I'm here. One of my top 10 memorable parenting moments is sending each kid out to the big wide world of kindergarten, right? That first day of kindergarten with a simple toolkit practiced over and over. Hi, I'm Caleb. Do you want to be friends? I still remember David equipping him with this phrase and listening to them practice. It makes you realize that initiative requires bravery and practice for kids and for adults. 
talking to Caleb about it now, maybe he didn't exactly use that phrase, but being taught it, practicing it, helped him to understand that one, making friends is really important, right? And two, that taking action, that initiative is required on our part to make friendship happen. He made some good friends that first year that are still some of his best friends six years later, which is God's gift to him. Relationship requires initiative, a brave, kind of scary laying out of self. Hi, I'm me. Do you want to be in relationship with me? This is what God does with us on our spiritual journeys. Well before we're even conscious of Jesus or any head knowledge of the Bible, God takes initiative and pursues us. For me, God's initiative looked like my friend Bora on the bus in third grade telling me that Jesus loved me. It was the first time I had ever heard that, and I looked, like, I looked at her like she was weird and crazy. Bora recently went to be with the Lord. She fell asleep on her sofa on a weekend in August, and she never woke up. I cried when I was writing this message because she was the first one that ever told me that Jesus loved me, that I can remember, and I'm so grateful I know where she is. God initiated with me through her and through friends in high school from Chinese school who invited me to Friday night youth group, which I only went to because I didn't want to miss out on bowling and ice cream afterward, and God uses FOMO, you guys. <laughs> it helped me to hear the words of life. God initiated through, with me through a kind mentor and a loving friend in that freshman year of college. And he initiated with me through loving relationship in the midst of personal pain. Relationship starts with initiative. When did God first initiate with you? Can you recognize it? If you are a Christ follower, it's great to reflect on this. Being able to share our spiritual journeys is one of the best ways that we can point others to Jesus. If you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, perhaps you're seeing that God is initiating with you too. That perhaps that invite from a friend or coworker, that Instagram post or postcard catching your eye, or maybe even difficult circumstances that push you to ask some questions are not so much a coincidence, but God's initiative for personal relationship with you. We also see that God can be depended on to respond when we reach out to know him personally. It says that if we hear his voice, when he initiates, if we acknowledge that he is calling and we open the door of our hearts and our lives, that he will come in. Not that he could come in, not that he might come in, but that he will come in. Psalm 62 tells about, about this dependability, this faithfulness and strength, that God is our refuge and our fortress, that he is unfailing. He comes through. I don't have time to dig into all the beautiful scriptures about God's faithfulness and dependability, but if you're looking to ask, understand this aspect of God's character and how God might show up for you, I encourage you to read and reflect on Psalm 62 and Psalm 139. Beautiful pictures of how God meets and shows up for us when we invite him into our lives. It's also important to say that this is where the Holy Spirit, that third part of the triune God that we talked about, comes in. When we reach out to receive the gift of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are told that the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, will live in us forever. 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that this spirit is our advocate to help us and be with us forever. This is one of the experiential pieces of our faith that we are talking about. How do we know that God is showing up? How do we sense his presence with us? It's not always obvious. We must be sensitive to it, open to its movements, and how the Spirit leads us. To better understand this, I really like the Catechism on the Holy Spirit. Catechisms are scripture-based summaries of what Christians believed that have been distilled and wordsmithed over hundreds of years by the brightest theological minds. The New City Catechism, number 37, says, how does the Holy Spirit help us? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, and the desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. I've experienced all of these in some measure on my spiritual journey. Do I experience them all the time? No, definitely not. But I can point to key moments on my journey where this advocate, this helper, has opened up scripture to me, given me words to talk to God when I didn't know what words to use, revealed to me ways he desires me to use my gifts, or where I felt nudged to acknowledge a brokenness in my life where he's met me as my refuge in times of trouble, where he's nudged me to go in a direction or not. In what ways has God responded to you personally, revealed himself to you on your spiritual journey? I encourage you to share that with one another as well. Our experiences are critical to understanding how God might show up in our lives. We also see in Revelation 3.20 that God desires a daily intimate relationship with us one where we share a meal together as friends, which means real relationship, one where we do daily things together. God takes so many postures with us. We've seen that he eats with us, he bends down to listen. We see in Psalm 116 that when we pray, he bends down to listen, he bends down to meet us. Jesus cries with us when we cry. He rejoices with us when we celebrate. God at the center of our relational orbit means we have the opportunity to experience being seen, known, and loved by the most powerful being that we can possibly imagine, who tells us things like he knows every hair on our head, that nothing that we can ever do can separate us from his love, that before a word is on our tongue, he knows it, that he hems us in and protects us, and when we have highs, he celebrates with us, and when we have the lowest of lows, he is there with us. That there is nowhere we can go to hide from his presence. He's seen the worst of us, and he loves us. God takes initiative with us. He is faithful to respond when we open the door, and he desires a daily, intimate relationship with us. For my dad, God's initiative came in all kinds of unexpected ways, perhaps even through situations he would not otherwise have chosen. God's initiative came first in the midst of political tension. My mom and my dad were both born and raised in Taiwan, but they came from families on the opposite end of the political spectrum. It was a bit of like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. They decided to get married while they were here in the US for grad school, but it was way too complicated to go home and get married there. To give you some sense of the complexity, my two sets of grandparents did not even share a common language, although they lived in the same 
speaking country. My maternal grandparents had grown up under Japanese rule, so they spoke Japanese and Taiwanese. And my paternal grandparents had come over to Taiwan with Chiang Kai-shek when the communists took over in 1949, and they spoke Mandarin and Hakka. So they couldn't even communicate, much less be on the same page. They, my parents decided it was much easier to get married here, but they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to do that in the States, and so they went to a church. They were not Christian, but the pastor at the church that they walked into in Santa Barbara agreed to marry them, and through that process, he initiated God's love with them, sharing the good news of Jesus. My parents did not respond at that time, but God continued his initiative in their lives by giving them two children and having those children grow up and then make decisions to follow Jesus through friends and then coming home and bugging them about it, bothering them to consider it until my dad told me we don't talk about religion or politics with family members, so stop it. But God is persistent, so he used other means to initiate, having my parents move to San Diego for a new job and having my dad's first friend that he made there be a church planting pastor that he met in the parking lot of the temporary housing complex my dad was assigned. And then having the family two houses down from where my parents settled be strong Christians who also happened to be Taiwanese immigrants who pulled them into community and then into relationship and then into Bible study. By having several of my dad's siblings become Christ followers, by using my parents' love of music to draw them into a bunch of Christians who sang in a choir. And finally, God allowed cancer. Sudden, late-stage, non-smoking lung cancer without warning in an otherwise healthy body, a stripping back of my dad's talent, intellect, self-sufficiency to show him his need, to show him he was not in control. My dad has been in heaven 10 years this Christmas. He passed far too early from a human perspective. We miss him all the time. Yet it was in this cancer that he finally responded to God's knock on the door. Let God in to eat with him and him with God. And it was beautiful. To be clear, it is not God that gives cancer, but rather that he allows it. Cancer is the result of the brokenness of this world, of fallible bodies, because of our rejection of God. But God allows it because it can be used in our lives to help us understand the only way to ultimate healing. I know from the way my dad lived his last two years that he opened the door wide to a daily, intimate, fulfilling relationship with God. I know from the way he passed peaceful and fully confident in where he was going, that God was faithful to come in when my dad opened the door and met him in a way that no one else could. And I know that hundreds of people, friends and family and old coworkers, were initiated to God's love through him in his last two years, through personal visits by his bedside where he told them about Jesus, through daily Facebook posts where my dad's charisma went from gathering people for fun to pointing people to the fun of knowing Jesus, and through his memorial service where many heard about God's initiative in their lives through my dad's testimony of God's work in his. Because ultimately we are all on a spiritual journey and what God wants more than anything is for us to know him personally to see his initiative in our lives, to respond when we open the door and live daily with him. 
moment to moment, day to day. It might sound too good to be true. Some days it might feel too good to be true. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that poof, our worldview is changed and we're suddenly perfectly God-centered. The promise of eternity is immediate, but there's a reason it's called a spiritual journey. It takes a step of faith to believe that the power and the promise is true, even if we may not feel it. And then from there, we experience a zigging and a zagging all the way as we make our way to eternity. But we have a helper and powerful advocate in the Holy Spirit promised by God to reside in us as soon as we reach out and receive the gift of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Ultimately, our opportunity is to live out the words of Jesus in John 15, 9, when he told his disciples, which include us when we make a decision to follow him, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, relationship, now remain in my love with the help of the Holy Spirit. It will be a process, but the opportunity is massive because the more we live from an overflow of knowing God personally, the more we get to be a beautiful offering of this kind of love to those around us, to be a part of stemming the loneliness epidemic through community because of what Jesus has done for us. And we get to be used by God to initiate his love to those around us just as Bora did for me on the bus in third grade, just as that pastor did for my parents 50 years ago in Santa Barbara, and just as some of you have been initiated with in this room through postcards or friends or coworkers, inviting and bringing you to hear words of eternal life. If you're sensing that God's initiation is for you this morning and you'd like to respond, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. Feel free to come up and we can pray together after the worship gathering. There will be a team here to my left that would love to pray with you. And if you put something on your connection card, that'll give us a chance to be able to follow up with you and, and to be able to give you resources and to celebrate with you. But let's all take a minute and close our eyes now, bow our heads wherever we are on our spiritual journeys, and let's reflect on this invitation from the God of the universe. Here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you are hearing my voice, if you sense I've been initiating with you, I would love if you would open the door. If you would let me in to experience life with you, to start on a journey together. Let's pray. Lord, the, it's such a privilege to be with you together this morning, wherever we are on our spiritual journeys. Lord, if we're desiring to start our journey with you this morning, I pray that you would meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit in an undeniable way. Would you give us the faith to be able to cross that line to say, yes, Lord, I want to start a relationship with you. I want to know you personally. For those of us who have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your initiative in our lives. 
Would you bring to mind ways that you've responded to us, that you've initiated with us, so that we can give you the glory and so that we can talk about you in ways that are understandable to those around us and tell them of your love. We love you. We honor you this morning. We glorify you. It's in your strong name we pray.